0: <coughs> Happy New Year. Do we still say that on the 18th? And welcome to the latest episode from iGaming FM, the Betting and Gaming Sector's talk radio show. So, how's your dry January going? Or maybe you're more of a Vig Annuary person. At iGaming FM, we love the food months, especially the chocolatey ones. Producer Riley is particularly looking forward to October run. If you're keeping up with your resolution to run or cycle, or just sitting around thinking about going to the gym, we've got the custom reaction-packed 30 minutes of chat right here to keep you company. First up, we speak with Dimitri Starostenkov, CEO at Evenbet Gaming, about the poker sector in established and emerging markets, which continues to evolve in line with trends in technology and social gaming. Next up, our Lena Senneval chats to David Kicks, CEO and co-founder at E-Technologies, about regulatory models in emerging markets and how E-Tech supports a wide range of stakeholders in regulated jurisdictions. Finally, Robin Hutchison is chatting to Alex Bolton, Tom Webster and Nora Osterlund from Mobink about the company's forthcoming visit to ICE and about a range of global markets including Ontario where Mobink is live and an early mover. But before all of that, stand-in producer Hugh plays the ukulele. So, poker, a product that is seemingly forever the same and yet somehow always evolving. Ian Donegan gets the latest from Evenbet Gaming CEO Dmitry Starostenkov.
1: 2022 was a solid year for Evenbet and online poker with growing interest in South America and some positive movement towards further legislation in the US. How did all this impact on your
2: product offering? In short, mobile first and web access. So it means there is no existing background on emerging markets. Players are just learning how to play online games in general and online poker in particular right in this moment. So it means, for example, there is no classic desktop client applications like PokerStars. When you need to download, it's from website, you need to install this on your PC in order to access poker games. People, players there in LATAM, in Africa or Southeast Asia, they are used to access through web browser to games or through native mobile apps it's thing number one thing number two is there is strong influence of club poker apps like maybe you know pp poker or poker bros it's like social poker apps with different animations it's it's more like social game rather than real money game this way it's increased importance of casual gaming look and feel of gaming apps and websites increase importance of animation gamifications different achievements beautiful avatars and so forth you can't go there just with straight real money game when you just make turns you play there for games to win games and so forth you need to offer players there something more some some wider gaming experience so products has to be more visual compelling to compete with other verticals and sibling industries in emerging markets.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost not surprising that poker is growing because it is synonymous with with gaming, with virtually everyone familiar with Texas Hold'em and Five Card Draw. But as you say, customers are looking for more and we're seeing a growing appetite among players for more customized versions of the game. What variations of poker are we seeing players asking for now?
2: First of all, there is a prominent trend to invent and play different subtle variations of classic games like Texas Holding and Omaha. For example, Omaha has given birth to the vast variety of games like High Hilo, Five Cards, Six Cards, Hurtsville, and so forth. This is happening because players naturally get bored and look around to entertain themselves. So it makes sense for operators and providers to do experience with so many small modifications of the game's rules in order to avoid long learning curve for players and entertain them from another side. Second, going to emerging markets, it's essential to discover local games and adopt them into the game portfolio. So now, with Game Constructor, it's much easier and quicker. For example, there is a local poker variation in Mexico called Mata Aces. There is no need now to code anything to let players play this game just use our constructor and that's it and can
1: you tell us a little more about game constructor and the background behind that what, what 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 led you to that product
2: it's easy and fun for operators to offer some new game with game constructor for example all new table creation there is an option to run the game constructor instead of choosing an existing game, like Texas Holden or Omaha. By the way, we're having more than 35 different card games in our portfolio. But anyway, so inside this constructor, first you choose a basic game type, like Texas Holden, Omaha, Stad, and so forth. Then, on the next screen, you see number of sliders and gauges, which you move left to right, to adjust game tones and rules. For example, number of pocket cards or number of turns inside the game and so on. Then you can start a single table with a new game variation or save it as a template for further usage and give it a funny name. For example, like we did, Crazy Omaha, Secret Crucible, Lazy Pineapple. This way, it's possible to make tons of experience on the fly in a daily basis.
1: It's easy to see why that would be deeply appealing to operators being able to create these bespoke games specifically what the players are looking for but you can also imagine players wanting that control and being able to create their own games do you see a future where this game constructor tool is available directly to players
2: we haven't released this feature yet for players however it's definitely within our roadmap for the first quarter of 2023 right now players can create private tables and tournaments to play with their f- friends. And I believe game structure available through the front end will be a great addition to this feature.
1: Even better recently released a white paper which i highly recommend readers read it's it's very interesting but that noted that companies are focusing less on europe and more on up-and-coming markets how can game constructor help operators stand out in more mature markets
2: as we have discussed game constructor opens up a way for quick and easy innovations so operators can offer something new to entertain players on saturated markets don't forget that it's possible to mix different game variations within the same game sessions so players could either gently try new games among more classic ones or run through a crazy journey of innovative experience so it's up to operators right
1: now we started by talking about 2022 we should probably end by talking about 2023 what can we expect from evenbet and online poker in general in the next year
2: i think more innovations more interesting concepts exciting new games and features, adoption of NFT and blockchain technology in a deeper way. So our strategy for 2023 is to focus on unique gaming content and features which stand out.
1: And I expect we will see you at ICE as well, will we? Yeah,
2: definitely. Definitely some new exciting gaming features will be presented on the ICE.
0: Next up, Lena chats to David Kicks of eTechnologies, a chat she, as ever, sets up beautifully.
3: Hi, David, and welcome to the podcast. So, eTech recently launched a product called Sentinel that is helping governments collect tax on e commerce services, including the iGaming industry. Could you explain a bit more about the product and also your recent partnership with the Nigerian government?
4: Yeah, thank you, Nina. I'd be delighted to. e yeah. eTechnologies basically had identified some key opportunities for governments to take advantage of evolving technology, both on sort of payment gateway and also in terms of digital payments and consumer behaviour to potentially modernise the way that they collect tax in many markets. So not necessarily just Africa, but clearly Africa is on a rapid development path at the moment, and there are clear and present opportunities for governments to step in. We were correct, as you, as you point out, appointed by divisions of the Nigerian government, the Federal Inland Revenue Service, and the NLRC, National Lottery Regulatory Commission, primarily, again, to look at implementing Sentinel on our platform, which enables parts of the economy to be channelized through there. And where possible, we'll look to try and develop strategies to take tax at the point of transaction, point of consumption. Contextually, for the, the gaming market, we were asked to look at what could be done to increase the attractiveness of Nigeria to some of the larger dot com operators that are not currently contesting the marketplace. And part of that is the fact that there's been a lack of clarity within Nigeria regarding state versus federal, with the states issuing their licenses and the, the, you know, the federal opportunity by the NLRC. And we have designed a flow for them, which is going to see the issuance of a remote operator permit which would allow a gaming operator sitting under a remote gaming license from one of the primary RG jurisdictions to step forward and apply for a remote operator permit. So they would then effectively be able to contest that marketplace, contract with domestic PSPs, by media for customer acquisition, whilst retaining effectively a non-domicile status. And through the Sentinel platform, where they would connect into the PSPs, we would be able to, if you like, bifurcate the settlement flow and take off the gaming duty at the front end, sending it directly to the tax authority. So that's the, the objective of the project. So we're expecting that we should be live with the first operators before the end of Q1 this year. And, and it
3: sounds like this product to so the Sentinel platform, it's, it's quite a good fit for for Africa and it's a, it's a core market for for eTech. Are you working together with any other local governments on the continent to help them evolve their iGaming regulation?
4: Yeah, absolutely. As you might imagine, the sales cycle talking to governments is pretty lengthy and we've had uh, a lot of discussions going on for a long time. What I can say is we're at contract stage with another five African governments. We are also looking at other regions around the world. But yeah, we'll be bringing further African markets into this type of structure, additional ones in 2023.
3: And the regulation is quite new in many countries. African markets still evolving, what other challenges exist in the African regulated market that the operators should be aware of?
4: I think it's been certainly a lot of the the gaming companies that, if you like, pioneered some of the markets in Africa. It has been challenging. The there's been challenges. I think there's some some of the political influence that happens in some of the markets has been unhelpful because I think that we've we've seen markets start to take steps towards kind of, you know, stable let's use the word stable regulation. But what we've actually then seen is that reasonably early into an adoption cycle by uh, by operators, then there's been some tinkering with the gaming duty and cranking it up to levels that suddenly makes it unviable basically from an operator perspective. So a big part of the conversation that we're having is very much about education. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way. I mean, basically educating regulators, governments, departments to understand actually how a gaming operator functions and, and what a, we point out to a very helpful, I think, you know, study that was done in uh, 2016 by the Swedish government. I mean, it was the Copenhagen Economic Study. And it's a really good reference point for describing where the Goldilocks zone sits for taxation against an operator basically they concluded that it was between 15 and 20 percent of ggr as the goldilocks zone below 15 percent you're leaving too much on the table above 20 you're starting to encourage non-participation again and avoidance strategies so kind of that fine line if we get it right And you can create a sort of sustainable system. Many levels, what you might argue is that you're moving the profit that the gray market payment industry is making, and you're turning that into tax revenue. And effectively, if we do it well, it's relatively revenue neutral on the operator. So that's the ambition.
3: In the last year, we've heard a lot of people talk about the U.S. market. All operator suppliers seems to be looking across the pond. But how much potential does the African market offer? It sounds like there's a lot going on there with regulation evolving. How big can the region become? Do you think?
4: It's a tricky one to forecast. You look at various studies and people pushing out it's going to be worth six billion by 2030. It's going to be worth 12 billion. Who knows? I think the reality is you've got an enormous population. You've still got large chunks of that population are not connected yet and it's improving in markets you've got incredibly young dynamic populations there obviously you've seen lots of the demographic information it's going to be amongst the, the the most populous continents on the planet within another 20 30 years it's absolutely crazy what's going on so undoubtedly it presents a huge opportunity the behavior you know a lot of a lot of the domestic markets have been retail driven we've seen where mobile money comes in that starts to create a kind of pivot towards more online but again there's many challenges in terms of not least Data is in many markets still relatively expensive. You know, mobile penetration is high, but infrastructure is not fantastic. Just to throw some stats at you, I think that 2020, the mean cost of one gigabyte of data was $5 in Africa, as opposed to $3.50 in Europe. Now, again, that's skewed. There's a couple of countries that it's just kind of crazy, but again, markets like Nigeria, the biggest population, 210 million people there, it's like 71 cents, I think was the last thing I saw, was the average cost of one gigabyte. So you've got you've got kind of data connectivity issues, you've also got a, and that, of course, restricts then from a content perspective what you put in front of the target audience. Now, again, you've got to kind of look at the interfaces, you've got to look at your content proposition, so something you, as an operator you're using for UK, or something you're using if you're facing the Asian market is not going to be fit for purpose. You're going to have to go and have a look at your your toolkit and see how you reconfigure your offer for those markets.
3: I assume you will be attending ICE like the rest of the industry in a few weeks. Will you be there to sort of yeah,
4: yeah, talk yeah, to... Yeah. Looking forward to using the new Elizabeth line and actually getting yeah. in there in under about five hours from <laughs> the other side of London, yeah.
3: Yeah, that would be a great opportunity as well to, to meet up with attendees, I guess, who are looking at the African market and who is curious about finding out more how to first sort of enter it and then to become successful there.
4: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, there is a lot of operator interest. I think you're, you're right earlier on in the sense that there's been a lot of a, a lot of focus put on entering the U.S. I think we're already starting to see a couple of sort of casualties pulling back from that customer acquisition costs have gone through the roof but undoubtedly that's a very lucrative marketplace to contest but now people are kind of switching gears and looking around what is a consistent position in the market is that most of the bigger guys are all looking to go into regulated markets so if we can deliver regulated markets there's a huge appetite from the industry to be there that's driven by shareholder pressure your financial ecosystem your banks etc they want people not to do grey market that's kind of self-evident now and some of these markets that we're talking to have been tricky to enter you've had to go and find local partners which may or may not always be desirable and sometimes there's some quite strange quirky local specials that you've got to accommodate so yeah so again I mean for me it's been quite an unusual two years pulling some of this together because starting to sort of unpack some of the problems in these markets and the devil is in the detail in terms of trying to make it all come together but yeah it's actually very exciting and certainly the feedback we're getting from the operator side is uh, very rewarding I think people really recognize that this is a, a very interesting product for them and makes entry into new markets effectively a turnkey, which is what they want to crack on with it. want to crack on with customer acquisition giving the player a good experience and the win-win for the country is it generates tax revenue if you're getting bigger brands contesting these markets it puts a bit more competition in there which is ultimately good for the player and if you look at the long game if you bring a market really sort of into some form of order shall we say you can then start to bring in some responsible gaming programs as well which are largely absent in a lot of these markets at the moment so we're excited looking forward to getting Nigeria properly live over the coming weeks and then giving some news in the market of some additional opportunities we're bringing yeah looking forward to 2023 it's going to be a year of hopefully some good growth for the industry despite some of the headwinds that are out there at the moment
0: finally to mobink and our robin chatting with no less than three of the team there
5: so I'm joined now by three people from Mobink, one of Square Enix's clients. I think this is the first time we've had a four-hander. We've got Alex, we've got Tom and we've got Nora. Welcome to Our
1: FM. Thank
5: you very much. Now we are on the cusp of ice, one of the biggest weeks for everybody and myself included in the industry. What are you guys looking forward to most about ice? I think just seeing everybody again really. I mean after the pandemic it's
6: just good just to sort of be back into that space and and almost carry on as business as usual
5: yeah i mean with lockdown and covid and all that sort of stuff it was a real wrench i think having those shows online are you a people person Nora? did you do you enjoy the shows
3: i do i do Uh, and i look forward to like as alex said seeing old faces uh, and also connecting with with new ones after this long period with the pandemic i look forward to it
5: Definitely. Yeah. And from a compliance point of view Tom, compliance, they're not people,
7: are they? <laughs> no, but I will say um, last year the uh, responsible gaming section at ICE um, was really great to see. It had come a long way in recent years and it's great to see that the industry is heading in that direction.
5: Is it fair to say, this is a very cynical view, but is it fair to say that the industry paid lip service to responsible gaming a few years ago and in contrast these days that it's anything but, it's
7: very, very important to people? Yeah, I think in the past it was seen as a bit of a checkbox exercise where, you know, it was something that operators had to kind of play along with without really committing. But now I think it's more of a powerful tool that operators can actually use to separate themselves from the crowd, show that they actually care about their players.
5: Yeah. Now, speaking about ice um, and speaking about icy places, I can't help but notice that you guys are live in Ontario in Canada. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that, Nora, and what that means for you guys, but also what mean, that means for your partners as well?
3: So we're obviously looking very much forward into uh, continuing uh, offering our services in Ontario. We've been off that market for how long?
7: No. yeah we went live on the ontario license uh, the second of january yeah. we were actually the very first operator to launch in the ontario market in 2023 mm-hmm. so a nice little accolade for us
5: there definitely but you also provide white label solutions for people you know you've got your own operating brand in ontario but you also offer um white labels and turnkey for people absolutely absolutely alex is that my is it my imagination or is that A newish thing where people are this hybrid model where they themselves are an operator, but they use that technical platform upon which they operate to sell it to other people. Or I've just been asleep and uh, this has been going on for years. No, I mean, it's
6: it's just another opportunity to expand as a business. We've got the tools to hand. And so it does make sense. Financially and um, and and in, from a business perspective, to be able to offer this to other operators who also want to go uh, live in in the territories that we are also live in, such as the UK and and in
5: Ontario. Yeah, and Malta is obviously big for you guys and has been for a while as well. How do you see that market changing in twenty twenty three? I mean, it's, it's
6: so difficult to, to predict now. I mean, with so many territories regulating, then it's, it's difficult to see what the MGA license will have, what effect that will have in, in the next few years. But, you know, for, at least for now, we are anticipating really strong growth
5: there. Mm -hmm. And speaking of regulatory territories Tom, Curaçao has been in the news a lot recently and the potential changes there. Obviously Curaçao was a sort of, if I can say this, a sort of easier place to get a license in years gone by. But as I understand it, they're keen to sharpen up their act and become more of a kind of Malta uh, gaming authority.
7: Yeah, it it definitely looks like they're taking a leap out of the MGA, book. I'm excited to see how that progresses because as you say, it's historically been seen as quite a operator-friendly jurisdiction shall we say. Um, but I think with regulation comes opportunity, especially for operators who have experience in the MGA and other more regulated jurisdictions, they will be welcoming a bit more regulation in that area. And that's going to be good for everyone presumably?
5: Yeah, I hope so. Hope so. Um, we talked about Ontario, Nora. Let's go south of the border in terms of the states, um, or indeed even further south, Latin America. Are those two huge markets on your agenda at any point in the near future?
3: Yeah, this is definitely very uh, popular markets in the industry, and uh, this is something that's on our roadmap for this year as well. Is to ex- expand into as many markets as possible, and South America is definitely a big interest
5: of ours yeah we'll see what happens in brazil with the yeah. change of politics recently but um is is north america and i mean specifically the u.s uh alex is that prohibitively expensive to get into or or, or are you sort of I admit mean, the whole state by state and needing to legislate mm-hmm. and regulate in each state is is that prohibitive to a company like Mobian, or is it just something you need to get on with
6: i mean at the moment no no territory uh including in the states uh no territory is off the table for us um we've just got to make sure that it makes financial sense to to go in there um we now that we've got on our ontario license then we can now look forward and look ahead uh and and really make these these decisions
5: yeah okay good all right well whilst I've got you I can't leave you without talking to you about your um appearance on um daytime television in in Malta
1: uh,
5: I believe you have an anecdote for us <laughs> uh yeah so i mean
6: it it's it was just a, it was something which I was asked to do um as i was while I was out in malta i was coaching uh coaching one of the 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 junior sides of of the clubs there and i i had i did have an initiative of trying to get all the all the junior sides sort of together to make like a a, a much bigger training session i suppose so i was invited onto the local Maltese news on at breakfast time to uh to to, to really sort of plug that initiative um if it's uh if it gained much attention i'm not too sure but we did see a significant boost in the numbers thereafter and uh, I I definitely had a lot more uh, more attention coming my way from the, the hockey circle, but um, yeah, that was my that was my you know my day
5: out on uh, on Maltese live not Maltese TV. Your fifteen minutes of fame, as Andy Warhol said. It was indeed. Well, if you want to speak to Mobink about um, anything to do with casino and sports book and platform, speak to Nora and Tom. And if you want to talk anything about hockey training, mm-hmm. get in touch with you.
6: You know where to find me.
0: Thanks again to all contributors to this episode, to guests Dimitri, David, Alex, Tom and Nora, and to the Square in the Air team for asking the questions. And yes, they clearly did get better microphones for Christmas. Thanks as ever for listening, especially to the bits where I waffle on. Apologies for that. Enjoy the preparations for ICE, and as your meeting schedule fills up, please remember to network responsibly. And of course, at ICE, as ever, take the time to stop, collaborate and listen. Yo,
7: VIP!